time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, two men set forth on a mission to discuss the latest film in the Star Wars universe, Rogue One. So welcome everyone to episode 37 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. It's great to be here today with my co-host Patrick, back after a two-week hiatus. And what better way to reunite than to talk about one of the biggest movie releases of the year. But before we get to our review of Rogue One, Patrick, we have not caught up. So use this, if you will, to tell me what you've been up to, man, because I'm sure everyone else <laughs> listening would love to hear that as well. Well, Jumbo, as they say, where I was uh, living for the last couple of weeks, <laughs> I have been in, uh, uh, for the last couple of weeks, I've been living in Kenya, uh, specifically a city called Magori, which is about um, maybe maybe 60 miles No. I take that back. No, it's longer than that. Uh, probably about an eight-hour uh, dirt road drive to uh, from from Nairobi, and I was spending a, about two weeks there working with um, with my church and partnering with another church in putting on a, a camp for uh, essentially youth, you know, kids ages like twelve to twenty, and so we spent the, a good portion of that two-week period just. Uh, teaching, playing games, um, and just genuinely just encouraging uh, these kids over in Kenya along with the pastors and the the body of believers in in that city as well. And so really that's what's been occupying my time. I'm severely jet-lagged. I'm still trying to get back into the swing of things. There's this big brain fog that I've been fighting over the last couple of days in trying to get back into the swing of things. But that's been that's been pretty much my world for the last couple of weeks, man. I've been uh, I've just been doing um, doing mission work over over in uh, over in Kenya, man. Very cool, very cool. Did yeah. you get any? Uh, did you have any time to catch up on any media while you were like on the plane or during your downtime over there? Any kind of entertainment options get? Uh... Yeah, I uh, when you're on a plane for 16 hours, you have a tendency to to kind of dive into movies to occupy your brain because. Um, unless you're just some kind of like magician or someone who enjoys the fetal position to sleep in, uh, you don't get a lot of time to rest. So I caught up in a bunch of movies. Um, I watched uh, Money Monster, uh, Captain Fantastic, other other of the latest releases that I hadn't gotten a chance to to dive into. But <laughs> interestingly enough, one of the things that stood out to me was actually not a movie, but it was a website that I was directed to go to. During the day, we would do games with with the uh, with the kids, and of course, they don't listen to. I mean, they they know American music, but we decided to um, have music out there just as kind of background noise or whatever. And a friend of mine who's a huge music guy, uh, he is a um, he's kind of he's the guy he's one of the guys that I talked to, and I said, "Hey, what's something you know? What, what's some good music for me to listen to? You know, that's not necessarily normal." And uh, one day he had 
his uh, Bluetooth speaker playing, and I heard um, <laughs> it was a mashup actually of uh, of Jack and Diane. <laughs> Along with a Justin Bieber song, actually, I can't. I don't know exactly if that was that was true or not. And I was like, "What? What is this?" And he goes, "Oh, it's a mashup." And I said, "Where'd you get this?" And he said, "Well, it's a website called BootyMashup.com." And I said, "What Mashup.com?" And he goes, he slowed down and he goes, BootyMashup.com. And I <laughs> said, so not having a lot of access to the internet, being out where we were. I had to go ahead and make a mental note of that. And uh, the first thing I did when I got home after taking a, a long nap and getting some American food in my belly was to go to this website. <laughs> it's B-O-O-T-I-E-M-A-S-H-U-P.com. You need to actually go to, if you, if you want to check this out, go to the actual website, type the web address. Don't put that in a Google search because you'll probably end up <laughs> somewhere else with, completely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So listeners, if you, if you do that, <laughs> tell your, your uncle Patch says, don't do that. Oh, <laughs> actually my goodness. type it in. But essentially what it is, uh, Aaron is it, it's a, it, it's a blog and it's a, it's a website that allows you to, uh, to find all of these just creative mashups that people upload and and submit and the company or the group each month they put out like a top 10 and uh so you can go back to different to older blog entries all the way back to like 2006 and you can catch like the top 10 of each month for for that month and it, it, it it's random i mean it's it's mashups of things that you know i don't know i, I couldn't even tell you how many are out there? There's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. But they also have theme related ones. Like they have four albums called uh, um, "A Very Booty Christmas." <laughs> oh, they do not. Yeah, no, it's pretty funny. No, they do not. In, in fact, I was thinking about you. I was on my, I was taking a walk this morning. When you saw a very booty wa- Christmas, you were thinking about me. I was, and I'm going oh. to explain. So don't cut me off here. Don't edit this out because it's going to make <laughs> me sound really weird if I if you do. But whenever. Um, there was a song that came on this particular mix that I was listening to this morning on my walk, and it was uh, <laughs> it was the Beastie Boys' "Sabotage," but they they redubbed the word "Santa Claus" over "Sabotage." That sounds pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> but in, I mean, and, and there's some that are kind of you know misses, but a lot of them are really really uh, creative and interesting. They do tributes to like Prince on some of their albums, um, Michael Jackson. Uh, I can't remember who else, but a couple of other ones. But yeah, so I've been just kind of listening to to that here and there, and seeing kind of what creative things are going uh, going on on the website. But it's it's all free because they can't uh, they can't sell it because they don't have the rights to all the music. So people just load these up, and you can download them at your at your pleasure. Hence the name Booty B O O T I E. It's a bootleg. So oh, you know, I didn't even yeah. make that connection. I feel yeah, it's not, I feel very yeah, lame. Not necessarily gluteus maximus booty, but uh <laughs> you know that that uh sabotage uh, mashup that you just mentioned should be in the new Star Wars uh universe Christmas special. <laughs> I agree man, that's good man. <laughs> I I would like to see that. So yeah, so it's uh so I spent a lot of my time doing outreach, but uh, as I've gotten back, I've been exploring bootymashup.com. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm glad to know what that is. Uh I I think my life is better for it. Um I hope it is. I hope it is. It's good to it's good to be back and 
the land of the uh, of the developed uh, world and podcasting and all this stuff. So, well, it, how it about is, you? It is good to have you back too. Uh, you've you've been missed. We've had some uh, incredible guests that have admirably filled in for you in your absence. So they did a great job. You'll be pleased to know. But uh, sitting in your chair is is difficult. There's there's not you can't replace the relationship that we have and the chemistry you know that that we've built over however I guess thirty plus years however old we are now <laughs> of of uh, life. You know I was just looking at pictures the other day. I'd posted this in the the Facebook group that we have uh, for the podcast. This picture that my dad had sent me um, with my Christmas gift, and it was some some of our old senior trip photos (laughs) and it just it just got me remembering you know how far how far we go back and some reminiscing about some of the days when you know long before we ever considered doing a podcast or anything but um, obviously but we were you know we'd watch movies late at night uh, on sleepovers and and our love for 80 movie 80s movies kind of grew (laughs) from there and so anyway my point being is that you you've been missed and thought about and it's awesome to have you back what you have missed out on has largely been, uh, at least in the last week or so, uh, me forming a new obsession. And I can only talk about this a little bit because we are going to be doing a mini-sode later this week on the movie La La Land. And I don't want to give too much away of my reactions here, but uh, the fact is if you follow me on any kind of social media, uh, you will be well well aware already at this point of my feelings about this movie. Uh, it is my everything <laughs> to put it point quite, quite bluntly. I just actually put a, a photo up a couple seconds ago on Facebook of this, but my, my background right now is uh, the beautiful Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. And yes, I did put them in that order on purpose um, because they are both <laughs> gorgeous human beings. And it, this movie though, is just, it's, it's really blown me away, man. I it, like no movie has, that I can remember in my adult life, no single movie. Uh, Lord of the Rings, obviously, for me, is the pantheon of filmmaking. But as we're going to talk about in our review of Rogue One, or as I'm going to bring up, there's a level there of impact that happens because of my fandom of that book series and how far it goes back. There's an attachment to that film series that goes beyond just the movies. And La La Land is the first thing that has ever, I I can't even, I don't even know all of the right words to describe it, but it's knocked me on my, my seat, uh, from a, on your booty. It is, is, goodness gracious. (laughs) Yes. It has knocked me on my booty and, uh, and it's got music cause it's a musical. So it could have mashups done of it. You know what? We're just going to end it right there. But seriously, this has been my thing. (laughs) I, I can't stop talking about this movie. I've tried to make myself but I don't really want to. I've listened to the soundtrack constantly. And so that has really been the focus of my free time. Um, you know, I've watched some other stuff, but it, I've seen La La Land two times now in the last six days. Um, I, I have a plan already to take my daughter on a dinner date to go see it. Um, I mean, it's a movie that I'm going to see as many times as I possibly can in the theater. And so if you haven't seen it yet, I know it's limited release out there right now. What's well, technically wide released, but it's still hard to find. They haven't like expanded to a whole bunch of theaters, but we are going to be putting out a mini-sode on it next week. So if you get a chance, this is the highest recommendation I will give you all year long. Not just so you can listen to me talk about it on the podcast, but 
this is the movie you've got to see, in my opinion. So, so by all year long, you mean in the next, you know, six and 16 days or whatever, 12 well, days? Yeah, I'm just saying, like, overall, <laughs> like, like in all of 2016, this is the one that oh, okay. uh, is, my, is my number one. You've got to see this movie. Uh, Man, I, I, I love I love hearing you say that. I was talking to some people um, on the trip about um, trying to try not to promote us too much like because I don't want you know hashtag shameless plug but when it would come up appropriately I would say yeah my buddy and I do this podcast and we review movies and um, one of the things that we talked about was what makes a movie stand out and it's the immediate rewatchability you know movies have value because of their rewatchability but when you get into immediate rewatchability like for me Sing Street when I wanted, when I finished it and wanted to immediately watch it again, yes, there's something magical about that and about the fact that, um, you, you just there aren't a lot of movies that do that for us for anybody. I don't think. I mean, I think everybody has like one or two that they're like, "Yep, gotta watch that again." And uh, there really is something movie magical about a, a particular film that does that to us. And I'm glad that you have that with uh, with La La Land. Yeah, it, it definitely did. I mean, I, I went to a, an advanced screening and obviously I couldn't just watch it again, but it was that, it was that feeling. I would have, I would have given up sleep that night and just gone to work straight the next day if I could have just sat there and watched it on repeat. It was that, that good. And it's funny you say that because this is a perfect segue. You just mentioned how, you know, there are very few films that do that to us and make us just want to go and turn around and go right back into the theater and see it again. But my guess is that we have a lot of people listening today uh, to this episode in particular, this episode on the new movie Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. And those people, of them, a lot of them are probably very diehard Star Wars fans who would say that Star Wars movies are their version of what we just were talking about. And that for them, Rogue One is the kind of film that they're going to want to just turn around and go right back into the theater and watch it again and again and again. So why don't we just use that as our segue and our opening here. And uh, I'll start real quick by saying this is going to be a full spoilery show. We are going to spoil the end. Uh, so, you know, we're going to tell you all about the R2-D2 labor, labor, uh, light, labor lightsaber fights that happen later on in this film. So uh, <laughs> please watch the movie first and then come back and listen. <laughs> but do that because if you haven't seen it, it's worth seeing. We both would probably <laughs> tell you that. Uh, we it's, would. It's worth if it making your decision about. <laughs> that being said, Patrick, I've been pretty outspoken about my feelings on this film in particular in the last couple of days on social media. Uh, but you have not. You've kind of kept things close to the vest. I know you've been busy getting back home and getting to reunite with your family. So how about you kick us off and tell us what did you think about Rogue One? Okay, so I am going to step into the confession booth because it's been a while since I've been overseas. And when you're overseas and you're nine hours ahead of uh, the rest of the people that you're familiar with, you uh, you tend to get a little jet lagged. And I did not realize how jet lagged I was. So I will say that I enjoyed this film. More specifically, I enjoyed the 90% that I saw of it because I believe there were about 10 minutes of it that I was not awake for. Um, the theater that we went to was very dark for obvious reasons, which was good. 
but it was also very warm. The air conditioner was not on. This was uh, <laughs> being it's it's winter. It's like thirty five, well twenty to thirty five degrees. It was you know those are the averages when I got home. And the day that I saw it, the average was like seventy nine. It was a weird warm day. So you combine a warm theater that's dark with reclinable seats and a jet lagged individual, and you get an incomplete viewing <laughs> of Rogue One. That being said, I actually really had a good time with this. I didn't have a lot of high expectations. Um, I don't consider myself a huge like Star Wars geek. Um, I don't sit at the throne of uh, of George Lucas and company and say, you know, give me your best, you know, whatever. Um, it was as expected for me. I, I walked away going, that was really good uh, for what it was. And my wife actually, you know, she was very outspoken. She said, that's that's probably one of my, one of my favorite Star Wars movies that I've seen. And she's not a Star Wars fan either. So if, if, if I'm kind of a casual fan, she's even less so. Mm-hmm. You know, she grew up watching the original three. Um, she's not going to be outspoken about your prequels. And she liked The Force Awakens. So um, her her opinion is valuable from a standpoint of just sort of a casual moviegoer person that just enjoys a good movie. And, and she was engaged the whole time. And uh, but there were there were parts of it that I really found um, very engaging from an emotional standpoint. I, I connected with a couple of the characters. Some of the cinematography um, caused me to get a bit of like there's a lot of beautiful uh, imagery that caused me to connect with um, some of the battle sequences. But there were also some missteps for me, uh, things that I didn't really care for, things that I was going, OK, I don't really know why that's in there or wait a minute, did I miss this? And again, some of it could have been that I was asleep during part of it. But I, I, I'm, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust my, my, uh, my wife and, and my own viewing experience and say that it was not, that my, my opinion of it, it was not completely tainted by my uh, absence of it for those few minutes. <laughs> but I, overall, I, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. So, can you, what do you remember when you fell asleep? Do you remember like what portion of the film that happened? Um, I believe, well, it was, uh, let's see. I want to say it was just after Jin had kind of accepted the role to join the rebels and start fighting. Okay. And so, okay. So it it, it was not, it was not a huge, from, from what I could tell, it was not a huge plot point that I missed. No, I don't. (laughs) There's not a lot of plot to miss. Um, so, (laughs) (laughs) Whoo, shots fired. Oh, okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. I'll back that up. Um, okay. Well, since you've already given us your thoughts on this, I, I'm going to start by telling you I'm really glad that you enjoyed the movie. That's what I've been saying to a lot of people when they give me their response. My my uh, automatic re- re- rebuttal is just that, hey, I'm pumped that you had a good time and you walked out of there feeling, you know, like it was a good movie experience for you and it was a good story and you enjoyed the heck out of it because frankly I did not there there are very few films that I've ever walked out of a theater and my immediate thought was not to take podcast notes or to text a buddy and rave about it but rather to sit down and write a review expressing my disappointment but that's how i felt i literally walked out got into my car 
turned on the heater because it's freezing, and typed out of my review, my letterbox review, right there in the car before I left the theater. I I just I kind of had to get it out, I think, and it, and it felt like this thing welling up inside me, and I was very frustrated, and I needed a release, and so writing my review did that to me, and the other thing that. I needed to do was to go see if I was crazy. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I had to look around at other reviewers and other friends that had been posting and seeing it opening night like me to see if anyone else had the same criticisms that I did. And lo and behold, there are a few, definitely not the majority. I am wholeheartedly in the minority at this point, but I'm not the only one that saw things in this way. And so therefore I at least, felt a little bit validated that I wasn't, you know, completely nuts <laughs> about what I had seen. I've, I've had people actually ask me the question, what movie did you go to? Because they just feel like my opinions on it are so far off at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very bored for the first half of the film. I don't think I've ever been that bored during a Star Wars movie in my life, including the prequels. I just was completely unengaged. I did not feel connected to any of the characters. I didn't feel a lot of compassion or empathy for them. Mm-hmm. Um, there were bits here and there, of course, uh, but I especially, especially Jen. And I think that's probably what affected my viewing experience the most was mm-hmm. that I was presented with this character that was supposed to be my protagonist, my main character. And yet, to be honest with you, I felt like, uh, Cassian, Captain Andor was my main character. And so for me watching the film, I was watching it as if Cassian was my main character and then kind of gets pushed to the side at the end so that this girl can come in and take over the movie where I don't feel she's earned it. And Mm. it just, it just had so much plot, uh, I guess it was just missteps for me. Um, that it, it didn't work very well. I felt that uh, a lot of the fan service was overdone. And so as a whole picture, I walked out of there not satisfied and extremely disappointed. And that's because I yeah. wanted to love the movie. Yeah. So expectations are obviously something that everyone brings into something, especially when it comes to a franchise like Star Wars. And uh, as I was as I was um, reading your reviews after watching it and trying to kind of process my own, my own thoughts, um, I began to ask myself, you know, what if I were asked to direct a Star Wars movie? And somebody said, hey, Patch, we're going to let you direct a Star Wars movie. You got this whole, you got all these to direct, you know, all these remaining films to do. Which one do you want? If it were me, I would have picked this one in a heartbeat over the, quote, episodes. Me and, too, hands down. And, and, the, and the reason being is that I think for Gareth Edwards, this was an opportunity to expand on a known fact within this universe, similar to what like David Yates did for Fantastic Beasts. You have this one sliver of a line, one paragraph in the opening crawl of episode four. Thank you. Got to get my Roman numerals right. And you have this opportunity to create the world and tell this story from you know, from essentially 25 words on a screen from 1977. And what you're doing is you're starting off 
what would is potentially going to be a series of anthology films, films that are not necessarily part of the quote episode universe. They are, they're connected because they, you know, they're related to it. But of course we're getting into a Han Solo solo film and a Boba Fett solo film. And so there are opportunities to create these anthology movies that don't necessarily have to have a direct connection to the main Star Wars movies. Although they kind of do because they're in the Star Wars universe. And I love the fact that they call Rogue One, quote, a Star Wars story, because hopefully it's one of many. And so I think the challenge for for Edwards and company is not only starting the series of anthology films, but also having to find the balance of connecting a large audience <laughs> to the Star Wars proper uh, by paying some fan service here and there. And I agree, there were some times when it was pretty heavy <laughs> on the heavy side, but at the same time, developing characters and telling a story that's intriguing. And and I could see where that challenge was um, <laughs> misfired in some ways. The character development for me, just like you, I don't think it, it didn't reach the potential that I thought it could. And you have a guy who is trying to... I mean, there were lots of characters. <laughs> There were lots of people. There were lots, I mean, even the opening sequence of, I saw like they were introducing us to all these characters on five different planets. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I just need, just give me two planets, okay? I can't keep up with all these planets. Are all these planets like, <laughs> are they important? Are we going to go back to all these planets? Um, and so as I'm, I'm watching this, I'm going, all right, I've got a lot to keep up with and I'm kind of tired. Okay, can my brain do this? But I think that, you know, the advantage that, the force awakens has and for jj abrams is that he used a very very you know safe plot a very safe story to start this character development so he used the force awakens not to tell a story but to build characters and i think what gareth edwards was trying to do was the opposite he was trying to tell a story and he rushed his character development and he ended up getting kind of a mess there so i think but at the end of the day, I think I would rather do an anthology film because I don't have that kind of pressure of having to build off of characters that are going to eventually exist in subsequent movies after this. So Right, because um, they're all going to die at the end. I mean, that's that's exactly, a fact. So, I mean, exactly. It, I understand the idea here of, you know, how much character development do you want to give us when you're just going to kill them off anyway? They're not going anywhere. Um, I think what really hurt what really hurt me with the fan service aspect of this film um, you know, I, I understand that it's got to have some, I get it. I do. But after having gone through the force awakens experience of literally beat for beat, recreating new hope, um, you know, with a little bit of freshness to it, but I mean, obviously the story wise, we were, we were right there just replaying that movie over and over. I felt like Disney has taken their Marvel formula and they've applied it to star Wars mm. and I get again. I get it. So I, I this is nothing. I'm saying is about me trying to convince anyone else that this is a bad movie, or trying to convince anyone that this is, should be done differently. I'm simply saying it's not what I want. It's not what I like. Right. And yeah. it, you know, Disney has made a habit now of it's it's all about the Easter eggs. It's all about the callbacks. It's all about those that fan service because that's what people are connecting to and that's what is bringing in the dollars. It's not taking too much risk. It's, it, it allows them to keep it, 
close to what we know without, you know, totally going for it and taking the chance that people might not like it. Mm-hmm. And that bugs me because I felt like Rogue One and, and what Gareth Edwards wanted to do very clearly from a lot of his filmmaking in this picture didn't get realized because of that. This was tonally a war movie for mm-hmm. most of it. But what happened is every time we started to feel like it was a war movie, you kept taking me out of it with jokes and robot goofiness and mm-hmm. fan service and callbacks and CGI BFG looking Tarkin who I love being in the film, but was distracting because of the way he looks. So mm-hmm. it, it, you know, it just kind of, it, it took me out of that. And so the parts that I love about this movie are the war parts. Like they're, you know, the, the battle scenes, the, the way that they depict the rebels working within the fight, the way that they, coordinate themselves the way that they you know manage their attacks uh you know the ships that come in and drop off troops the the Mm -hmm. troop carriers essentially like all of that stuff was incredible like that was top-notch awesome good stuff uh it was just like the plot that kind of held it all together that that didn't get to me so yeah the thing i want to know though about so let's start with character development because we talked about that a little bit okay my question in there is what do we know about them? And right. for me, I never felt that Jen made a choice in this movie that made a lot of sense to me. So I felt that, and you can, I want you to tell me if I'm wrong here because the way I felt about the movie was that Jen, you know, she goes off, she lives with Saul Guerrero. Uh, she becomes what we know is she becomes some sort of really well, really good like fighter. She's wanted by the Empire for something. I don't really quite know why. I don't know what that is about. Um, And maybe that's me missing a story element, or maybe that's I didn't get it in the movie. I don't know. But the Empire's got something against her. Not the Empire, sorry. The Rebels have something against her for some reason. And, you know, she goes on this journey. And then the moment her dad dies, she gets into this conversation with Cassian in the ship before they head back to uh, talk to the, the rebel leadership. And he's trying to convince, he's trying to explain to her that she's not the only one that's lost someone. Uh, and, and that he's been doing this since he was six years old. And so then we get back and all of a sudden, the next thing we see is her making a speech in front of the leadership about how important this is. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the way that her character goes on a one eighty didn't to me it wasn't earned because Mm -hmm. the next thing you know we have cassian coming up with all of these troops that are willing to completely go against their orders to follow her into battle and all we've seen up until this point is that cassian is the leader and has there's no reason for cassian not to be the leader like he has done nothing to relinquish his ability to lead them in this adventure this this attack mm-hmm. but yet Jen is the one that suddenly steps up and everybody is like you know what we're behind you we're gonna follow you and it didn't make mm-hmm. sense to me and so it really yeah. really took me out of it yeah I agree and, and that that is clearly the weakest part of the film for me particularly those two characters Jen and Cassian I didn't connect with them really at all and for those same reasons that 
maybe it was a maybe it had to do with edits maybe it had to do with just some missteps in the reshoots or whatever i, I remember reading an article kind of comparing the reshoots uh, from the trailers to the actual film um and the analysis by this guy or this person was really intriguing <laughs> because it indicated that there was almost like a a different resolution to how the uh how the characters die like oh it's almost like an entirely different movie like it really it really is and and i don't i don't want to i don't want to go there i don't want to say you know was it a different movie and you know what it could have been because that's all speculation at this it, point and fact, it doesn't matter we got what we got it doesn't yeah we got what we got uh you know trailers or not but i think what we see is there are definitely some holes in the way that the film was sort of put together it reminds me a lot of when i did the short film and how as much as i love it I saw so many plot holes because there were things that we didn't address as we were going through it because we were on a deadline. And I'm not saying that that's what happened here, but I definitely saw some of the, okay, um, whether it was because of reshoots, they didn't maybe quite watch this all the way through and ask those questions. Um, but I felt like it, it, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't a deal breaker for me, mm -hmm. but just like you, it did take me out of it a little bit. And it, <laughs> you're, I mean, the general rule of thumb for movies is you're supposed to connect with a protagonist more than anybody, whether it's Jen or Cassian. And those were two characters that I didn't connect with. Mm -hmm. In fact, Jen was the character I connected with the least. Yeah. And she's the one that apparently, you know, it, well, I mean, you and I will differ on that opinion that she's the one that I thought was supposed to carry this film. And and she didn't. Um, oh, I agree and, that, and that she was supposed to. No, I, I know just, she was supposed to. Yeah, but but what you're talking about in and getting those uh, some of those motivations and things that needed to be earned, I think were definitely valid points to say. Well, I I don't get that, and I didn't get it either. So, what do you think about? We've we agree that you know Jen and Cassian are not the the best developed. But what do you, who who do you think is well developed? What what characters well, my, did you like? My favorite characters. Um, are going to probably be, uh, is it Shroot and, and Bays? Am I pronouncing the names right? It is. And and okay. I have a question for you. Okay. Did you know that was their names before you saw it written in our notes? Uh, no, I had to look them up. Okay. I just called it the, the, and this is going to sound so racist, the nope. Asian guy and his, and his partner. Nope, I wanted um, you to say that. I wanted you to say that because I want to make a point here. And I've had this conversation with someone, and I I, I get the other side of this argument. But for me... Going into this movie and the two interesting Avenger-like characters, to make that Marvel reference again, that come out of it, we don't know their names. We hardly know anything about them, yet they are the most compelling and interesting characters that we get. And there's a, you know, a point of understanding I, I have where Star Wars names are hard somewhat, sometimes to pronounce and sometimes to, to understand, right? Like Chirrut. They didn't say his name a lot, but they did say it a couple times. And Baze, I actually thought it was Maze uh, coming out of the movie. <laughs> I thought he was like Mace the Rapper or something. But um, Baze Runner, <laughs> yeah, Baze Runner. Oh, that actually could work because um, he because he runs. Yeah, toward at the end he tries. Um, <laughs> he's a little heavy, you know. It's way down. But 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 he has the force, and the force, the is force is, whatever, has the force, you know? and the force is with him. Yes. Um, <laughs> but my point being is that I, I had a real problem with the fact that. I came out of the film and two of the characters that had the best ending scene in the movie, the most empathetic moment probably of the entire film 
I couldn't tell you their names until I Googled them. And, I, you know, I'm not saying I could have done it better, but I'm saying to me that was a problem. Well, in, and I'll say this. I, I agree. It is a problem um, for on, on in, in two ways. One, I don't believe they should have been remembered as much as they had because I've talked to several people and I've read multiple reviews and most people agree with me. That sounds really arrogant. Most people share the same opinion that I do in that they were memorable <laughs> characters. At the same time, these are not Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, I mean, Leia, Chewbacca. Chewbacca is probably the most <laughs> foreign name that probably a 1970s audience is going to uh, come into contact with. Most of these names from the original Star Wars movies were pretty easy to remember. Mm-hmm. Luke, Han, Leia. Then you get into Chirrut, <laughs> Baze, <laughs> and so there, you know there isn't there is a small thing that there there is an argument to be said that they're not easy names to remember because I couldn't even remember Jen's name uh, or Cassian. I had to hear those a few times um, by the end of the film to say, okay, yeah, Jen and Cassian, Jen and Cassian. Um, but I agree with you that I don't believe the characters themselves of of uh, Chirrut and Baze were meant to be as memorable. And so that is, that is a problem. Um, it, it reminds me a lot. And, and this goes back to me talk, thinking about Magnificent Seven and the relationship that, um, that, uh, good night, good night. And, and his partner had, they were, you know, they had that same kind of chemistry, but the development of the characters around them, mm-hmm. uh, was a lot more, fleshed out and this what this tells me is that you can tell a story that has a simple plot and you can develop characters that you end up caring about um knowing that most of them if not all of them are going to die and you can it is possible to do that and so that's where i got a little disappointed in that i knew it could be done Mm -hmm. um and i wanted that for for edwards and i just don't i don't feel like it happened for him yeah and i think i mean you know everybody's raving about cheroot um, and I and I have a you know I, I understand that he's an interesting character. I understand that he's he is very unique. He is a, an obviously force sensitive character who, if you know the lore, you understand that at this point the only Jedi's that exist are Yoda and uh, Obi Wan, and they're in exile. And mm-hmm. so the Jedi temples, as we see in Jeddah. Um, have been destroyed, and there is no one to teach Chirrut. So there's no there's no Jedi to to make him become a Jedi, right? Yeah. He's just force sensitive, and he's kind of working his way through that. So that's phenomenal to see and experience. I don't know that the average moviegoer gets that because they don't have the history uh, behind it. Because that's what this movie does have. Chirrut and Baze are real characters in the lore. And there's a lot of lore thrown at us in mm-hmm. in references in this film, but it's never yeah. fully fleshed out. And right. so my issue, I guess, is just that I, I wanted Chirrut to be more serious. And they mm. kept treating him like a slapstick comedian, giving him these these joke moments and, and kind of – he just – he felt like this piece of comedy for most of the movie until the very end. And I feel like – he had so much more potential than that. And it, and it kind of bugged me because <laughs> I thought, I, I thought I wasn't going to be the only one. I mean, I thought everybody was going to see it that way. And I guess I was wrong. Everybody 
didn't see it that way. So it's me, not you, uh, Star Wars Rogue One. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I think I just wanted, I, I, I saw so much potential in all of the characters mm-hmm. um, and their backstories that we knew, we got that I wanted so much more of them. I wanted them to be richer and I wanted to really, really buy in and care about them right. instead of just caring about them as representatives of the loss that the rebellion as a whole suffered because right. that's, that's awful. And that's yeah. definitely something to have empathy over. So, so let me ask you this. So did, so you were familiar with, with Chirrut as a character before seeing this, right? No, but I okay. think, I think it influences my, my viewing experience. Okay. Okay. That I'm not, I guess I was, that I'm not. I, I was, I was not familiar with him at all. Mm-mm. No, I was and not either. So I was, so I was in the majority of people that didn't see him as a, as a joke or as a, or as a comic relief character. I mean, nothing I saw. I mean, there were moments when I laughed a little bit, but his little mantra that he kept saying, which was funny at first, ended up translating into something that became more serious. And I think that was what was successful about his character is that the, the writers used that thing that was originally seen as sort of comedic and turned it into something that was important for him. And we began to care more and more about that mantra because we cared more about him. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's, I mean, ultimately I do. I think the ending, the way in which it wraps it up and brings it full circle is, is very well done. Um, it's kind of like the win, win, lose kind of situation or love, hate, you know, you love that, but at the same time, you're like, why did, then do we not get that with our main characters? (laughs) Sure. Instead, why are our main characters like taking this dramatic, like walk to the beach to like fall down on each other's arms and get Mm -hmm. annihilated by a nuclear blast? Because frankly, at that point I had lost interest, uh, due to the ending and the way in which Cassian, you know, came back deus ex machina style to save her. Uh, when he was pretty much left for dead after falling and tumbling down, you know, the shaft to a lower level. Um, you know, it just, it was so perfectly set up. You know, he comes back, he, he makes the shot to save her at the very end so that things can get finished. And, um, and those kind of things kind of were too dramatic for me. The, the other thing that was too dramatic for me was the ending, which is again, <laughs> this is again a love hate. I love that they specifically made it a point to tie the two films together Mm -hmm. to make that connecting tissue of the actual scene of what was, how the signal or how the rebel plans got into the hands of Leia. I love that they wanted to do that. What I didn't love was like what felt like slow motion passing the baton and chariots of fire of the rebel plans as people were dying. And um, I thought it was a little overplayed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that kind of was like a, uh, I don't know. Like I like it. I don't like it. And that was just, yeah. that's where I landed for the most part in the whole film was just, I liked it, but I didn't like it. So I, I want to mention though, I want to bring something up. I think that when you go into a film like this ex- with expectations, like, you know, like expecting a war film and then you get a level of, of humor and, and stuff like that, that you're not used to in a war film that it definitely impacts the viewing experience, which mm-hmm. for me is what happened. And I also understand that I am not a Star Wars super fan. And I have, I've come to realize this over the years. I think probably four or five years ago, I might have told you, oh, I, I'm as big a Star Wars fan as anybody. That's never really truly been the fact. Um, 
now that more have come out, I've realized, you know, I'm a casual fan, more like you. I, I, I get, I like them, you know, but Star Trek's my preferred universe, and mm-hmm. sci- science fantasy is lower in my priority list. And I think that's starting to come out for me because my friends that have that actual Star Wars fandom about them, and you know these people. I mean, I'm sure you have friends that, you know, have Darth Vader stuff or, you know, Yoda stuff and Jedi stuff in their cubicles at work, and they just they eat, eat breathe, and sleep Star Wars. Those people eat this stuff up, and I tried to think why it doesn't work for me and realize that if this was Lord of the Rings, it would work for me. And for me, The Hobbit works more than it does for other people because I have reference material in my past that maybe other people don't. I'm more bought into that universe than other people are. And so I give it more of a pass or I am able to enjoy the stories told in that universe more because I'm just happy to be there again. And I think a lot of people are like that with Star Wars. It's just the joy of being back in the world. Mm. And the movie construction itself doesn't have to be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And that ties into my other reasoning. That, and I'm trying to justify. Just bear with me because I'm just trying to justify my own like dislike of this film at this point. But... I have seen 282-ish movies this year, I believe, so far. I think I've seen about 70 brand-new 2016 films. Over 500 hours the last time I checked my stats. That's not normal. So the normal moviegoer maybe goes to the theater you know, five to ten times a year. Tops, probably. Mm-hmm. A lot of those people are not seeing the films that I see. They're seeing the Star Wars. They're seeing the Star Trek. They're seeing the Marvel movies. They're seeing Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, things like that. So I think that because I see so many films, my personal standard for storytelling is off the charts. I have a very, very high level of expectation for it because I've seen so many things that I consider to be well done by comparison's sake, where if you don't see that many movies, you don't have a comparison that I do. I, does that make any sense at all? Absolutely, man. That's a okay. fantastic, fantastic point you made. Because you're right. I mean, you you have now, with each movie that you consume, you're now given a standard uh, based on the genre, based on the director. I mean, here's the thing. Let's use an example. Um, I saw Chris Nolan's trailer for dunkirk which gave us nothing which is great really can i watch it oh you can really watch it there's nothing in there oh good because i want to watch it so bad but i wasn't going okay to. yeah it's 45 seconds of what you know <laughs> okay i'm gonna watch it but you and i know what we're getting when we get a nolan movie the cerebral whatever you know with the prestige with inception with interstellar we're getting a Christopher Nolan. I mean, when we say, ah, that's a Chris Nolan movie, you and I know what we're talking about when we're talking about it with each other. So when we go into Dunkirk and watch this, which a little inside baseball, this will be one that we watch and we review. So listeners, be on the lookout next year. Oh, yeah. Dunkirk's <laughs> we, a no-brainer. Yeah. It's a no-brainer because we love the director. We love what, what he's done in the past. So what happens? 
when he doesn't give us what we want? That's going to be a question that we're both going to have going into it. Are our expectations going to taint um, our viewing experience because of the past experience that we have with this particular director? In the same vein, I think with what you're talking about, your saturation with so many movies and so many genres and so many directors that your your vantage point for Rogue One is a it's it's a cornucopia <laughs> to use a holiday term of different vantage points and different standards. And so by default, you're probably expecting a La La Land type experience. Mm-hmm. And you know, especially in light of what you're telling me about this movie La La Land, how high it hits and the rewatchability, immediate rewatchability that you have. I mean, the psychology person in me is thinking you want you wanted Rogue One to meet the standards that La La Land did. You wanted to walk out of the theater and go, oh my gosh. And not because you're a Star Wars fan, but because you're a movie fan. And because you expect that you ex- what you experience with La La Land uh, or with any movie that's going to make you feel that, you expect that with every movie. And yep. There's a, there's a sense that you should because you're paying the money. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're you're sitting in the theater and you're experiencing that. At the same time, not everybody is the same director. And that's unrealistic, right? It is unrealistic, but that's okay. And this is why movies are fun to talk about and why discussion is great to have. Because my role is not to convince you to love Rogue One when your role is not to convince me to hate it. Or and, and we're not doing that. What makes our discussion great is that we can find that common ground of what made the movie experience good for us because we didn't go into rogue one thinking I'm definitely going to hate this. Let's see if it impresses me. Now we went, we wanted to like it. It's a movie that we were interested in. Oh yeah. And, um, and I think you, you know, your, your, your vantage point is, you know, that's, it's a fantastic point to make. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point you made too, about the fact that I had just seen La La Land a couple days before it. In fact, I, I tweeted out, and I said it as a joke tone, but I tweeted out that I would almost have given up my opening night showing of Rogue One to replace it with a second viewing of La La Land. <laughs> and frankly, I would have even before seeing it if we weren't podcasting on it. And I think that has to be taken into account, you know, in my immediate reaction to the film. Maybe I'm willing to revisit this. And I've, I've told people this. I'm going to rewatch it when it comes out on blu-ray i'm not gonna go watch it again in the theater but i will rewatch it and i will revisit it at that point point in time and i'll give it a fair shake again you know when i'm in a different mindset but i i think I, that absolutely probably did play into it because i was i have been so obsessed it's been difficult to get into any movie because i've just been so singularly focused on this thing that i consider a pinnacle of film achievement um, and, and you're right. I probably subconsciously was holding it up to mm-hmm. that standard. Um, I, I gotta say that I did like things about the movie though. I mean, I talked about a couple of them. I just don't want to make this all about the negatives. Um, you know, I, I did like the battle scenes. I, I liked some of that stuff with, with the character development of, uh, Chirrut and mate bays. I liked their relationship. Uh, and that clearly you could tell that they, had been friends for a long time and they'd been through Mm -hmm. a lot together without telling us, they didn't have to say a lot to, to get that across. And I thought that that was good storytelling or good, Mm -hmm. a good use of of that uh, mechanic. Uh, I loved the Corvette ramming the star destroyer. It's probably my favorite singular moment of the entire movie is from a Navy perspective of being a Navy guy. 
and having been on ships, the idea of this smaller frigate-like vessel, you know, just driving itself directly <laughs> into the aircraft carrier to stop it so awesome. was so, awesome. so freaking cool, man. Like, that was the moment that I wanted to get up and cheer. Um, so there, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Uh, the, the filming of the action, the cinematography in general, it's a gorgeously shot movie, and it's a gorgeously, like, this, this, the locations were awesome. Mustafar, uh, seeing Darth Vader's palace on the lava planet was super cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, the Jedi temple, the Jedi broken down Jedi temples all over Jedi, mm-hmm. all of that stuff was great to me. Yeah, um, and I really did, did enjoy you, that. Did you like Alan Tudyk's uh, character of um, I can't remember the 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 droid's name, the Imperial droid, but uh, I, I thought his humor was 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 a lot of fun. I didn't realize it was Alan Tudyk until um, until I, I, I saw the credits roll. I was like, what? I can't believe that. Well, I. <laughs> You know, I, everybody is like raving about him. I liked him. I didn't hate him. Uh, I yeah. didn't dislike him. I thought, like a lot of the film, I thought that some of the humor was too much, and so I think mm-hmm. that I thought that some of the jokes with Jen kind of played along too long, and weren't really called for. Kind of like they didn't necessarily have a place. Like I thought he was almost too quippy. I yeah. thought if you dialed him back and gave me like half of his jokes, I would have thought mm-hmm. he was phenomenal. But I, I loved yeah. him as a character, and I thought, and that was one of the most emotional moments, honestly, for me too. Was, you know, him making the human sacrificial decision that right. um, a person, you know, many many humans in the Rebels Alliance were not willing to do earlier mm-hmm. in the film, and then here's this robot, this AI that is so bought into the belief of of, of following. Uh, this ideal and what they're fighting for that he's willing to do that. And so, uh, and even, and, and specifically because he talks about earlier in the film, how he doesn't really want to die. Like he doesn't want to get shot at. He's, he doesn't want that to happen. And then he does give his life essentially for the cause. And so, yeah, I really did like his character a lot. I thought, you know, I thought the voice acting was perfect. I thought Alan Tudyk mm-hmm. was, I mean, you can't go wrong with him anyway, but like he was, <laughs> he was absolutely the perfect choice for that. Hello, it's a Lance. Oh yeah, <laughs> so good. I, yeah, and and I, I can agree. I think the the reviews that I've read, one of the big missteps is is why you know <laughs> why are we connecting with the droid? You know, does that mm-hmm. say something about the quality of the of the characters in the movie? And and there's I mean there's there's definitely valid arguments there, but I I, I would be we connected to C three PO and R two D two and and BBA. Sure. I mean, sure, it, yeah. That's that's it's, a I think that's a silly criticism. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's just a little goofy. But um, I think individually, what you have are individual characters that, on their own, kind of outshine when when they maybe weren't meant to. And, uh, and but that's okay to me. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate that. So, um, one more thing I want to I want to kind of bring up just in general as a big picture idea. Sure. Uh, before we dive into our connecting points, is this idea of the anthology. Um, something that I think is really bold about the Star Wars universe is this idea of creating anthology films. And I'm looking forward to the Han Solo and the Boba Fett movies coming out. But more so, I'm just I'm looking forward to the the anthology concept from the Star Wars universe in general. And um, that would be difficult to do to to start the anthology series as a director. And and I think that was a challenge for Gareth Edwards. But you know. They're a difficult beast to to handle. I mean, 
in order to be successful, you have to connect them in some way, either in a theme or uh, between them or elements within them. You know, and, you know, some great examples are like The Twilight Zone. That's a great example of an anthology series or the Cloverfield movies. You know, they're connecting some way. Black Mirror is a great TV, you know, a great example of anthology uh, and even the 30 for 30 documentaries. And so what I'm looking forward to is seeing kind of what uh, lessons learned can be taken away from Rogue One to say, okay, as we dive more into these anthology movies, can we get away from having to throw nostalgia back into this? And can we get into a, a fully realized, refreshing story being told about something? And I, you know, as I started to think about the, you know, where the source material for this movie came from, I, I went back to like episode five and episode sixes, like the crawl text and was looking at him and like episode five it says it's a dark time for the rebellion although the death star has been destroyed imperial troops have driven the rebel forces from their hidden base and pursued them across the galaxy right there wide open yep. <laughs> you've got you can create a whole movie about the adventures of the rebellion <laughs> and create new battles uh, new battles that don't exist and create new characters that you can flesh out and that's what i'm looking forward to i'm looking forward to seeing if that's going to be done and if Disney or the directors have the the capacity uh if they you know if 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 this is their rock and roll they're going to take that risk <laughs> and they're going to risk being ridiculed by kind of going into a world where we're revisiting the Star Wars universe but we're becoming less and less connected to our our main you know our the mothership of the episodes and so i thought you know i'm thinking what you know what do you think about that are you looking forward to that or do you see that potential of being something really really good i like that you just use a sing street re- reference in our rogue one episode because <laughs> you you're, know I, I do believe that your sing street is is a, about on par or close to my la la land right now oh, no it's for it's, this yes. year um, yes. I, I mean, it's like an all-time favorite. It's not just a like, hey, this is my 2016 film of the year. It's like a, this is my this is gold to me forever, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so I just I love that you're able to slip that in. Um, but no shame, no, no shame. You should not have any shame. Uh, I agree. Then it's very interesting and very intriguing to see where this is going to go. Uh, I like the idea of the anthology films. I was super psyched for this one, like we talked about at the beginning, more so even than Force Awakens and the the mainline movies because. I looked at this anthology film season as an opportunity to explore things in this universe and stories that we don't have knowledge of. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's why I was disappointed overall yeah. too, was because I didn't feel that they, I felt that they did handhold me too much and they did try to connect it too much. And they gave me literal copycat sequences of, you know, Red Leader, Gold Leader, you know, <laughs> like that, that thing was straight out of Star Wars. Um, multiple shots of the, you know, the guy in the tower as the horizon is, you know, panning yeah, away, yeah. things like that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm very reluctant now because I, history tells me that the Disney money making machine is not going to look at this and say, you know what, we can get away with less of that now. History tells me they're going to say, oh, people like it when they make jokes. They pay money to go see it. And they give it high ratings. So we're just going to give them more at that. And the, re- the, the, the comparison I make is Civil War. As we have progressed in the Marvel Universe, we've gone from Tony Stark being a quippy character, which is 
who they really let that live with to in civil war, literally every single character in that film talks like Tony Stark mm. at some point. And so I'm afraid that Disney is going to let that fester and continue. Now I'll see them. Of course I will continue to see them. I'm sure we'll be covering them all, but I'm a lot less excited about them. Uh, and frankly, you know, the fact that the the next two we have planned are young Han Solo and Bubba Fett. Like I, I want out of that. I want out of it, man. I want, I want to go explore characters that I've never heard of, not mm-hmm. revisit ones then get their backstories. Like I want new, st- this is a huge world out there that they've created yeah. the force and the Jedi and the Sith. It goes so deep. What this made me want to do is go watch Star Wars rebels because mm-hmm. those are characters that I don't know living right. in this world. Right. And I know it's great storytelling of that. And that's, that's what I wanted these anthology movies to be. And I just don't know if we're going to get it. So we'll, we'll see, yeah. we'll see how it turns out, but I'm a little reluctant. I'm hopeful too. I'm hopeful too. Um, and I think with you, it's, um, I, I think I have that same reluctance as well. I, I hope that the, the Disney, you know, the, the mighty mouse <laughs> operation will, uh, or this you know, Mickey Mouse operation will give directors the creative freedom to tell their own story because there's so much out there that can be tapped into. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd even love to see, um, you know, some, you know, I think, I think what Fox did, the X-Men origins, Wolverine is a great example. I think they wanted to have more of those kind of, Hey, let's, let's explore the origins of these individual X-Men. And I think that star Wars can do that with some of our favorite characters as young, you know, as, as you know, they're, their origin stories like Chewbacca and Solo and maybe even Jabba the Hutt, you know, and these things. And just, again, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about the, about the, the potential. And, and my hope is that we get that. But you know, what's interesting about that comparison right there is that movie was awful and bombed and did, did not do well. The Wolverine origin story. What did do well is the Wolverine story that was just a one-shot story that almost nobody except for comic book fans had any knowledge of what the heck that mm-hmm. story was about. And that's the movie that everybody remembers. That's the movie mm-hmm. everybody goes, man, that was an awesome Wolverine movie. So if right. we do, if we were to do that, if you were to give me the Bubba Fett movie that was just Bubba Fett on an adventure that had mm-hmm. no connection to the bigger narrative of Star Wars at all right. – I would yeah. eat that up, and that's what I want. Well, yeah, because because at that point we're trusting what the audience already knows about the character from the original movies. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's a strong thing. I mean, that to me that goes back to as a director or a writer saying, "Look, our audience isn't stupid. We don't need to tell them and show them this kind of stuff." Um, so yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I agree. I want that. Well, you know, so we always wrap this thing up with a connecting point and good, bad, uh, mediocre, no matter what we feel about the film, we almost always find one. And I know that I did. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to ask you first, what was your connecting point in this movie? And it better not be like the 10 minutes that you fell asleep. <laughs> I literally almost got up and went to go buy some Twizzlers because I felt myself fading off and I said, no, I'm going to miss something important. And of course I did. I missed something important because I fell asleep. <laughs> Too funny. Instead of, instead of just walking away from the theater. Um, for me, I think the, the one moment was, um, you mentioned it earlier, the, the moment that Chirrut is killed and Baze begins to chant, I'm the force and the force is with me and is subsequently killed off as well. Uh, of course, their, their relationship, as I mentioned before, is a lot like Goodnight and Billy from Mag 7. 
Uh, and I'm not, I wasn't trying to make an Asian sidekick comparison, but just rather that, that subtlety of their deep companionship without having to show or tell a lot about their backstory. I mean, I, I remember just thinking, man, I'd love to you know, know more about them because of this limited screen time that they have. But, you know, this scene also showed me how their character development can be a less is more approach. Their, their relationship was not heavy handed. And, um, you know, Edwards and company just let the actors act <laughs> and embrace their lines and, and, and do that. Um, but I was also reminded that not every good guy lives. And of course, I know the story of Rogue One. I know that everybody dies, that <laughs> these right. guys sacrifice their lives for the, the cause. And so, again, just like Magnificent Seven, it's refreshing to know that people die. <laughs> and that sounds really sadistic, but, you know, the good guy doesn't have to live all the time. That not everybody has to live. And in this case, nobody lives except, you know, <laughs> the Death Star plans <laughs> as they got back nice. into it. But um, even though we didn't get enough time or the characters weren't fleshed out enough to really make me care about all of them, I felt like... I connected with enough of the characters in this case, these two, and even <laughs> as, as bad as it sounds, Alan, you know, Alan Tudyk's character uh, enough to say, "Man, uh, that was," you know, I, I felt, I felt very, um, I felt that sense of sadness of losing these characters, of going, "Man, I'd love to see what happened, what would happen to them after this," and it makes me want to see earlier adventures of these two characters in particular. And uh, and kind of what their relationship is like before meeting up in this uh, in this particular event. So that particular scene uh, connected me in a way that was very surprising, not only because these were quote minor characters, but also because um, I didn't I didn't know a lot about them beforehand, and I didn't you know even when they were killed, I didn't know a lot about them, but I knew enough to to connect with them. It's good stuff, and it's a. It's a tie-in, actually, to my connecting point as well, or at least the the reason for my connecting point, and that is, you know, the idea of the cost, the idea of the loss of life that occurs, and wanting to see that, wanting the film to have a weight to it, uh, and I think that any war movie has to have that, and we did get that. Um, it, it's necessary to tell this story in particular to, to dive deep into it, to, to make us appreciate uh, and respect the, the, the cost and what was given. And so my favorite scene overall was the initial battle in Jeddah. And there's a couple reasons for this. One reason is because I felt like this was the one moment out of the entire movie that I had legit character development for Jin. There is a battle that is starting and Jin looks over and sees a child out in the middle of the road in danger. And she does not hesitate. She does not go into any kind of exposition. She takes action and puts herself in danger to save the child. And I thought that that gave me something about Jin's character that was never expounded on and never, never really developed beyond that. But I loved that moment because that's the kind of character development I'm looking for in a movie. They're not telling me they're showing me. And I liked that. It gave me a reason to kind of 
root for her a little bit um, at that point. The other reason I really love this scene is because, as I've mentioned many times, I was expecting a war movie. I was wanting the war movie. And this is where it really shined the most for me because it was close quarters, insurgents attacking in, in coordinated efforts, seeing the different ways in which they had uh, planned to take this attack on was awesome. And it felt like, I mean, it felt like Black Hawk Down. And it, and it, and it set the tone that ultimately led to my disappointment because when I saw that scene, I thought I'm going to get Black Hawk Down in Star Wars universe. That's going to be awesome. And then it kind of didn't follow through on that. But, <laughs> but, well, not that it was supposed to. I'll, you know, Not that the movie had to follow through on that, but that's not where it took me. Mm-hmm. And so I really loved that scene. Just the way that the explosions are filmed, everything's close up, there's that tank, and just it was so tense. Uh, and, and then you, and you know, the heartbreak there of the lives being lost. It's, it's close. It's, it's in the fight. It's not this in space thing where, you know, a spaceship blows up and it's a big explosion on your screen and you don't really think about the pilot. Um, you think about the explosion, uh, but this mm-hmm. was visceral and raw. And I connected very, very deeply with that and that yeah. style of filmmaking. And if, you know, if, if I could bottle that scene, and have the movie, you know, kind of level out in that scene's tone the whole mm-hmm. way, I would have loved it. But I also understand that would not have been a kid's movie. And so that would have been very hard to market and keep yeah. it in the Star Wars universe. So, sure. But, but it was my connecting point nonetheless. Well, it's a good connecting point. And I think for both of us, I think we both appreciated that boots on the ground. Um, visual and that boots on the ground story that was trying to be told that um, it didn't have to go back to space opera. It did, but it didn't have to. It could have trusted us as an audience to fall in love with that, um, that grounded type atmosphere and mm-hmm. continue to develop these characters. And so um, I'm hoping that if there are future installments that have that kind of, um, that kind of environment that, that we stay more grounded <laughs> and not necessarily have to, head up into space <laughs> all the time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see what we get. And, um, I'm, I'm optimistic. <laughs> well, good. What I'm also optimistic about is that, um, our next, uh, couple of weeks and months coming up, the movies that are, that are going to be reviewed. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. And uh, do you want to give a little bit of a, a little bit of preview of what's coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks? Uh, I would love to the next week's slate is uh, La La Land. We're going to be doing the mini-sode on that one. I will be having Blaine Grimes back on uh, for that episode. He was with us for The Incredibles in your absence last week. And yes, looking forward to listening to that one. Fantastic conversation. I, I got to admit, and I'm going to be fully honest, um, Blaine is absolutely my was absolutely my second choice to talk about La La Land with. I am slightly bummed that I am not getting to talk about this with you. So... <laughs> I'm willing to do another one later if, if need be, once you've seen this movie, Patrick, I, I could talk, I could talk about this movie forever, I, but um, I love Blaine's particular, um, I think that his, the way his mind works and the way that he appreciates foreign films, which is, there's a lot of influence of French cinema in La La Land uh, is going to be awesome for a conversation that we're going to have about that movie. So yeah, La La Land's coming soon. And then we're going to have our first ever Christmas special. Yay. 
Uh, we're going to be doing It's a Wonderful Life, which is yes, one of our right. absolute favorites. And I think uh, we're going to also talk about some of our other favorite Christmas movies on that episode. Not really in depth. We're just going to you know, drop some names and talk about why we like those. But yeah, It's a Wonderful Life will be coming out. You can look for that one by Christmas morning. Haven't totally decided. Might drop at Christmas Eve, but it won't be on a normal Monday release date. It'll be a couple days earlier, just so you can have it in case you have rewatched the movie and you want to listen to it with your family or, you know, while you're off work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, looking De- forward to that. De- De- definitely looking forward to that. Uh, as Jimmy Stewart might say, I'm looking forward to, to hearing and, and discussing it with you, Aaron. Ay ay There there are things I there are things I missed and uh then there's that. But yeah, th- and then you know that'll be At least be... it wasn't Michael Caine. It was <laughs> well, Michael Caine. Michael Caine could have fit in it's a wonderful life just fine. Um <laughs> you know, I think that's going to actually round out the 2016 year of podcasts for us. Uh so many more movies we'd love to cover just don't have the time or or the ability, but that's going to be it. And if you exactly. If you want to contact me and you want to talk to me, you want to come at me about my Star Wars thoughts, please do. Uh, I'd love to continue this discussion. There has been a lot of rich discussion, especially about this film in particular, in our Facebook group, which is where every episode we urge you to join up if you use Facebook, because that forum has been amazing. Just being able to engage with a plethora of different opinions all at once. Um, it's almost almost always civil. Uh, you know, occasionally we all get a little riled up in defensive of our positions, but you know, really, ninety percent of it is is incredibly civil and friendly talk, and it's just it's it's wonderful. You know, it's it's basically like having a podcast episode, only you can do it with a hundred plus, two hundred plus other people, and you know, get to hear all of their opinions as well. So, I urge you to come join the Facebook group. You know, there's links in the show notes and on our website and. You can find it. It's out there. If you want to talk to me directly, though, at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, all over the interwebs, I'm down. Let's discuss. What about you? <laughs> well, uh, if you want to find me, I'll be at bootymashup.com. But Ooh. if I'm not there... <laughs> <laughs> But if you if I'm not there, you can always find me uh, on Twitter at Shoeless Patch S H O E L L E S S P A T C H. I'm also at Facebook at that same handle. Uh, I'm usually floating around Instagram as well at Feeling Film Podcast as well as Shoeless Patch. Um, and speaking of Feeling Film, you can always uh, check out our latest episode as well as our backlog at FeelingFilm.com. You can leave comments there. Um, we would love. If you get a chance to drop us a review on iTunes, uh, we'd love to hear kind of what you like, what you don't like, uh, ways that we can improve, uh, ways that make you laugh, ways that make you kind of cringe a little bit. Love to hear what you guys are thinking. And it's uh, at the very least, it's uh, it's fun to read these things. I, I really enjoy um, going through those things every few days and going, hey, new review, what's it say? And if it's a good thing, I'm really happy. So keep sending them our way and um, just let us know what you think. Well, is that it? I think that's it, man. I, I don't have any other housekeeping to do. I don't, I don't believe. All right. Well, I guess this is uh, nice to get back to cause I don't have to do this by myself uh, <laughs> until next time. Stay positive and keep feeling film. I'm so glad I get to say that again. Yay. Woo. <laughs>